Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 109, How Carol Lawrence Writes. I am so incredibly excited to be back here with you. I took a few months off from the podcast to rest. Uh, We moved across the country again uh, and let my life calm down a little bit from some really hard seasons at, at the new year. For the most part, life is getting back to normal as much as it can, and I'm happy to say we have settled down into our new home in Charleston. As I was writing this intro, I laughed to myself a little bit because I realized over the course of this podcast, I have lived in Brooklyn, Denver, an RV, and now Charleston. So here's to hoping for a long, decades-long season in our new home. I also want to take a quick second to thank all y'all for the insane amount of kind notes and messages you've sent to me. To my Happy Writer family, thank you so much for your support and for going on this journey with me. To the podcast listeners who aren't in Happy Writer, thank you as well. This has been a really challenging season for myself and for my family, and it was greatly eased by your support. Someday I do plan to write about this and write about burnout, write about loss, and how that intertwines with the creative process. But for now, my friends, it is time for a brand banking new interview with Carol Lawrence. I've recorded the next month or so of podcast episodes, and we have them scheduled out now through a good chunk of the summer. And I'm recognizing that in these interviews, I'm really digging into the metaphysical, into the magical side of creation, of writing. I can say that Carol and I go into it. I'm finding myself so much more contemplative not just about the process of creation, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how to actually put words on the page. But lately I'm going, I think, a level deeper, at least for me, into why I need to do this writing thing at all. For me, it feels more elemental. These conversations are raw. I mean, there are moments I'm holding on for dear life as we start to prod at this thing, which is creation and why we need to do it. I want to say thank you to Carol for her time and really being willing to just dive into it with me. Carol shares so much about her journey, her process, her soul, about writing. This is another one of those interviews I will treasure for a long time. And now, my friends, I feel so good to say this. Here's episode 109 with Carol Lawrence. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Carol Lawrence. Carol is an award-winning novelist, poet, composer, and playwright. Among her published works are 11 novels, six novellas, and dozens of short stories, articles, and poems, many of which appear in translation internationally. 
She is a two-time Pushcart Poetry Prize nominee and winner of the Euphoria Poetry Prize, the Eve of St. Agnes Poetry Award, the Maxim... I, I was going to try and sound this one out, but I think it's Mazumdar Playwriting Prize. I hope I didn't botch that. The Jazz, the Jerry Jazz Musician Award for Short Fiction and the Chronogram Literary Fiction Award. A Hawthorne Fellow, she's on the faculty of my alma mater, NYU, and teaches at Gotham Writers, as well as the Cape Cod and San Miguel Writers Conferences. She enjoys outdoor sports such as hiking, biking, and horseback riding, and you can often find her cooking and hunting for wild mushrooms. She also writes under the names C.E. Lawrence and Carol, Carol, help me out with this one, Carol, Bougie, Bougie? I'm hopefully you can say that right. I said, actually, it's, I say Bougay, but it's Norwegian. Uh, it's Norwegian via Denmark. Uh, and so a Danish guy told me that in Oslo, it's Buga. And then he said, yeah, in Oslo, it's Buga. But in in um, in uh, Denmark, in Copenhagen, it's Buga. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds really different to me. Oh, my. So I'm going <laughs> to like, leave that. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> I'm going to leave that pronunciation <laughs> to you because I'm not going to attempt that one. Carol's latest novel. I know, right? Cleopatra's Dagger was published on April 1st, 2022, so about three weeks um, before this recording, and it is available literally anywhere you buy books, and it was an Amazon First Choice Award. I think I said that right. Carol, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And the, the Amazon thing is called, it's called First Reads, apparently. First Reads. I knew I, I, knew I said yeah. that wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually didn't. I was, my agent called me, like, you know, before the book came out and said, oh, so I have some great news. You've been chosen for First Reads. And, and I had never heard of it. <laughs> and I went, and went oh, oh, okay. Well, thanks. and she said, no, no, it's a really big deal. And I was like, Oh, okay. She said, no, no, writers really want, they really like, they like campaign to get in on it. I'm like, okay, great. And I felt really kind of like stupid that I didn't really know what it was. Um, but anyway, apparently it's a cool thing. And um, it means that your book goes out to, before it ever comes out, it goes out to readers who are signed up, like prime readers who are signed Got up it. for the first reads and they get to have the book before it's actually hits, hits the shelves you know, before the real pub date. So that's what that program is. Got but it. it is a thing that you get, it is a thing that you get chosen for. And, you know, I'm very uh, grateful to have been chosen. Awesome. Yeah. And I, um, and I did see on Amazon, I believe, I believe your book is in a Kindle Unlimited as well. So if you're looking for something to read, um, Cleopatra's Dagger is ready for you to read it. Just jump right over to Amazon. Um, so Carol, here's where I want to go. Today, Today, we are recording on a media extravaganza going down today, uh, which is we're recording this on April 25th, 2022. On this day, it was announced that Elon Musk would be buying Twitter, which has the book. Oh, my God. It's so, you know, it's so <laughs> funny that you say that. It's the last conversation I had before saying, all right, I got to go. I got to I got to get I got to talk to Brian. Um, I literally called my best friend and said, you realize Elon Musk has bought Twitter and I spent half of the day retweeting tweets about Elon Musk right. buying Twitter. So yes, I am all over this news or rather this news is all over Twitter. It's all over everywhere. It's, it's a 
it's big news. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the book world seems to be aghast online that, that this has happened. How does this like somebody who um, you're active on Twitter? Um, I looked you up, actually tweeted right before we, we jumped on this, how excited I was to interview you. Is somebody active on Twitter and I'm sure using Twitter to reach readers um, and promote your books and kind of get your name out there. Like, do you, do you have any like perspective on this? Is this something where you're like, yeah, not a big deal. Are you like, oh boy, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, like, I would love to hear your hot take on it, even though it was just announced today. Well, it's really impossible to predict what it's going to really mean for Twitter and what it's going to mean for the future of social media. But I, I, I'm afraid of Elon Musk. I think he's a loose cannon. Um, I, I think he's, um, it was a hostile takeover, as you probably know. Um, I mean, I guess Twitter did agree to it eventually, but it wasn't something they wanted. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about corporate takeovers. You know, I'm not very well versed in that, but it was not a happy situation, I don't think, for anybody. Um, I think it was just Elon Musk saying, hey, I've got these billions of dollars. Who, you know, what am I going to control next? And that's the way I feel about it. Um, what frightens me most about him is his uh, determination to, to be a so-called free speech advocate. And unfortunately, the power of social media is it has a very dark side, as we all know. And there's a lot of misinformation that went out on social media and continues to go out that has caused millions of lives, especially during COVID, where a lot of conspiracy theories and misinformation were allowed to go out there and people bought into it. Now, I, I, I certainly criticize the people for buying into it, but you also have to lay some of the blame on social media for allowing it. Now, Twitter really cleaned that all up, but now with Musk in charge, who knows what's going to happen? It's a very... The First Amendment is being reformatted and challenged in a way that the founding fathers could never have imagined yeah. uh, because it's be, because it, these modalities didn't exist when the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written. So it's just it's, it's the I feel like it's the Wild West. I really feel like social media has been the Wild West for a long time. And now we have a gunslinger who shoots from the hip. So it's really hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think social media is such a big topic for writers because it, it's one of the ways in which writers can communicate with readers. And, you know, for so many writers, I mean, I mean essentially everyone I've, I've ever interviewed, um, you know, direct communication and being able to get in front of readers if you want to sell books, right? If that's your goal is to sell some books and make some money out of this thing is really critical and really essential. And so it's, Anytime, anytime there's like a yeah. shift in something like Twitter, there's implications. And so I'll be watching it. Yeah. Um, I, I do know, you know, we have our own platform just for writers, but we're not focused really on connecting writers and readers. I've had a ton of conversations today on Twitter about Happy Writer, which is our platform. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not yeah. trying to sell books to readers here. Like we're just trying to help writers tell really good stories. Um, yeah. But boy, it'll be interesting. It will be interesting. So um, let me ask you this. This is my first interview in probably about, geez, I want to say like two months. So I took a break from podcast interviews because beginning of the year, I just straight burned out and not like got really tired, but like emotionally felt completely empty, no energy, like just completely burned out and needed a break. So I took a huge break from podcasting from all sorts of stuff to kind of recoup my energy. 
And since then, I've been thinking a lot about burnout. I've been thinking about a lot of how writers experience burnout, how creative people in general experience burnout. And I wanted to ask you if that's something you've experienced in your life. Have you ever hit a spot where you're like, I literally need months to recover my energy because I'm just fried. I don't feel anything inside anymore. Has that happened to you? Um, and you mean in terms of writing or in terms of life? Um, yes. <laughs> writing specifically, oh, but, okay. but, but, but in general, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So I, so I feel that writing, you know, first of all, you know, there are people say, who say, oh yeah, you have to write every day. I think that's the stupidest advice anybody could give. And I, I, I can't believe actually people actually say that. Um, I, I think that it's, I think that yes, I've experienced burnout or rather I've experienced uh, the feeling that my reservoir is empty and I need time off from thinking about writing or writing in general in order to fill it up again. And I, I, you know, and maybe some people can write every day and maybe some people, you know, find that their reservoir is inexhaustible. I don't find that to be true. I find that there, I find that there has to be like a percolation process or, or, you know, a fallow field process. You know, it's like, for me, it's more like, you know, being a plant. And, you know, there, there's a time when you, yeah, growing season, oh boy, all this energy, all this sun, all this water, yay, I'm growing, I'm growing. And then, oh, thank God winter's here, I can just go to sleep for a while, good night, you know. And so I feel like, I feel like there's a cycle in, cre- in, in my, cre- I can only speak for myself, obviously, yeah. there's a cycle in my creativity where it just becomes, um, it just, I'm pouring out and pouring out, and then it's like, it's dangerously empty. And if I were forced to do more, I don't know if I could do good work. And that happened, especially like in the last couple of years, I had to write two books in, a, in basically a 12 month period because I was under two contracts that overlapped. And that was really, really draining. And then I just like needed to not be, you know, writing fiction. And I could, you know, scribble out some poetry, do a little poetry, play a lot of piano. But, you know, in terms of having to actually focus on a novel, I was so glad when the last book came out because then I got to like lay back and not have to think about that for a while. So yeah, I think that for me, it's, there's, I don't know if you call it burnout. I guess if you had to work hard enough, you would call it burnout, but yeah, yeah, there's a point where I feel like that's it. I'm done. I got to walk away. And I do feel that a lot of times that that's what, when people experience this thing they call writer's block, I'm putting quotes around it because I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I, I like that term at all. I think that that's what they're experiencing on a smaller or a larger level. And so what I tell my students is, you know, if you feel blocked, don't sit in front of a screen, take a walk, take a bath, take a nap, get on a train, move through space, get on a boat, um, you know, uh, watch junk TV, watch good TV, you know, do whatever you need to do to take your mind off the task because your brain, it's almost like your brakes have become locked, like the engines overheated and become locked. And the best thing to do is cool the engine off. I mean, that's the way I experience it. So if I'm feeling like I can't put out anything more that day, I walk away. Because if you force yourself through, you'll probably not do good work. And then you'll have bad associations with the act of writing. And the worst thing in the world is to dread. It's, you know, it's hard enough. But if you create more dread for yourself by pushing yourself through, then you're just setting up a bad loop, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're really right there. And there's an important, I, until this happened, I didn't think I was capable 
of burning out. Um, I, I was one of those kids that was blessed with infinite energy that grew up into an yeah. adult with infinite energy that really struggled to um, contain said infinite energy. And so something like writing, which, which you can exhaust all your energy in, right? you can never <laughs> get to the bottom of was such a good fit yeah, for me because it just could just pour so much of myself into it. But feeling right, that I was but also you too. What's that? But you, you this is all, this was also during COVID. I mean, didn't have right. didn't that have something to do with it for you? It I, I mean, I feel like it affected us all on a really, really deep emotional level. I mean, even if we didn't have friends or family who were getting sick, just just the pain and suffering uh, that was going on in the world around us, I found that I found that in particular extremely um draining and you know you had to kind of work every day not to spiral into depression because so many people were suffering yeah yeah it, it was such an it it was such an interesting experience it's something that i'm still too close to to understand but i yeah. also I, I also have never talked about on the podcast we talked about i mean just about everything under the sun that has to do with writing books right um, after two yeah. years of doing this, we've talked about a lot of things, <laughs> but we've never brought this topic of burnout. And it's something I want to talk about more because my sense is there's a lot of writers who feel, I don't want to say emotionally dead, but certainly, certainly that sense of dread that you spoke of, they're dreading the work. They're dreading the investment. They're sitting down and feeling empty and, you know, just creatively tired. And, um, you know, I think it's okay for us as writers to acknowledge there's, I think you said this, there's seasons, right? There's times you're going to step back and take a breath. That's the, that's the way it yeah. feels to me. Like it go to me, yeah. it goes in cycles. That's the way it feels. And when I finish a book, I need a fallow field for at least a few weeks. So um, what do you, you do know, in those and, few weeks? Like, like what, what is it that happens? Like, do, do you actively recover? Is there stuff that you're like, oh, I, I I'm longing for X, Y, Z. Well, I, I play the piano a lot. Um, I might, you know, get on my bike. Um, you know, I might go out of town, might take some trips. My, uh, I keep probably keep up my teaching cause I'm pretty usually teaching you around more or less, you know, online, um, you know, see my friends, you know, ha just, just do more exercise, you know, allow myself more, maybe, you know, maybe I'll go, maybe allow myself more television or more reading just for pleasure. Um, so just like, it's just like filling up the things, filling up the, the time with things that I would want to do anyway, but I can't do as much of when I'm writing because the, the focus of the day has to be meeting that deadline. You know, yeah. though I might, I, I found that like this last few weeks I've written several poems and I studied poetry. Like one thing that I did was I started studying, um, like I've written poetry, but I, I didn't study it very much formally. So I've read two really good books on the art of writing poetry. Um, and that, you know, becoming a student of the techniques of poetry, um, you know, that's been something that I had to have a certain amount of time to do. And I didn't really have time to do that while I was writing, you know, having to turn out a certain number of pages every day. You don't really then want to go into a really complex textbook about, you know, uh, <laughs> a pentameter. Right. I am, you know. Uh, but, but if I don't have to do a lot of writing in a given day, it's really interesting to you know, go study it. So that's one so thing that I did. Everyone's going to, everyone listening to the podcast is going to want to know what are those books on poetry? Oh, so Mary, yeah. 
so one of my so my one of my favorite contemporary poets, Mary Oliver. She has a very good um, book uh, on the art of writing poetry. And the other one is by James. I believe it's James Longmore, "The Art of the Poetic Line," mm. and it is extremely scholarly. And I could like it was so scholarly that I actually had to, I give myself a, I said, okay, today you're going to read just five pages. And if you can do more than five, fine. But it just my, it would make my brain fry if I, if I, you know, did more than an hour of work with this book, but it was a terrific book. And, and, um, it, it was, it brought, it, first of all, he quote, both he and Mary Oliver do a fantastic job of quoting a lot of, uh, poets, you know, some of whom were familiar to me, some of whom were not as familiar, some of whom I, I need to get, get to know more, like William Carlos Williams, who I kind of, you know, everyone knows the red wheelbarrow and everyone knows, you know, these different things. But he he showed me some of the more um, obscure Williams. And yeah. Oh, so his name is James Longenbach. Mm, okay. And it's the art of the, the, the art of the poetic line. It's available. Um, it's available in paperback. A friend of mine, um, gave me both of these books, um, and so uh, I just decided to dig into them. I love it. So, and Mary, I, uh, you know, I mean, every everyone knows who Mary Oliver is. Yes, yes. I I actually wanted to ask you. I know you've written a lot of poetry, written a lot of fiction. Um, what is it? What is it you think? fiction writers who is the predominantly you know who listens to this podcast what is it you think fiction writers can learn from poets well i didn't think i was a poet until one night rainy night i was sitting in a dressing room where i was doing some improv shows and it was intermission between the two shows that we were doing that night and i just like scribbled down a poem and i didn't think it was any good and i'm like whatever because I, I didn't really think that was my thing at all and then I sent it away and it won a prize and was published. And I was like, huh, that's funny. Uh, it was decent. You know, I was like, huh, that's, you know, I really didn't think it was any good because I had nothing to really, you know, I didn't really, I hadn't been a student of, I hadn't really been a student of writing poetry. So to circle back to your um, question, I think number one, Every fiction writer should try to write poetry. And I, you know what? I don't want to even say try. Just write poetry. It's yeah. really fun. It's, it's so freeing. Just write whatever's on your mind. Don't even worry if it's good. Just like do it. And I had the most wonderful experience teaching fiction. I was teaching a fiction one course. And one day I came in, I said, okay, we're all going to write a poem today. And everyone looked at me with terror in their eyes. And not only were they all pretty decent, but one woman wrote this fabulous poem her first one ever about uh, caretaking she was caretaking with somebody with alzheimer's and she wrote this beautiful piece of poetry about it and submitted it to a literary magazine that i had you know been published in online and she was nominated for a push card they nominated her that's how <laughs> her first that's how good her her first poem was you oh know and she's gosh. continued to write and it gave her courage and it gave her confidence and she's continued to turn out terrific poetry. And this is years ago now. So, um, so what can they learn? I mean, it's just such a great way to exercise your, your rhetorical skills. I mean, all of the things that go into a poem, 
in my opinion, should go into fiction. Every single one of those metaphors, simile, um, line, meter, um, maybe even rhyme, certainly alliteration and assonance and all this stuff, you know, that that is just a given, you know, imagery, um, uh, uh, sensory detail. That's the lifeblood of poetry. We all know that. But to me, it's also the lifeblood of fiction. And I'm not interested in fiction writers who who aren't conversant in pretty much all of the poetic rhetorical devices that I mentioned. And then just like many more, I mean, I know I left a lot out. Um, So I just feel like if you want to, if you care about beautiful prose, you know, go ahead, just study poetry, try your hand, have a little fun. Yeah. I just think it broadens the mind, you know, in the way that, you know, Bach did counterpart exercises, you know, Um, it's, it's kind of like doing a counterpoint exercise, you know, it gets you, it gets your juices and flowing in the right direction and it expands your brain in, in the right way for, for writing really good prose. And again, you know, I feel like if you, to me, it's really the, the sound and feel of my prose is really important. If you're not that person, if you're one, someone who just wants to bang out a good story, have at it, man. <laughs> you know, right. whatever, whatever floats your boat. It's just yeah. not, it's not, you know, the way I like to work. Yeah. One thing, one thing that seems interesting about poetry is how poetry leaves the reader needing to do a lot of the work. Um, so much of a poetry yeah, is true. like the negative yeah. space, you know, like it's not like fiction where... Yeah at times can feel maybe overly descriptive, overly prescriptive. I mean, yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading a book now and it's beautiful, but I, I find myself wanting to fill in gaps. I want to see myself in mm-hmm. there. And I think poetry does that really well. Do you agree with that? Like it, like it asks more. Of I, I think that's such an interesting, I think that's such an interesting observation. And I would say, I feel like there's this huge range with poets. I mean, I feel like there are some people who are so, you know, like Mary Oliver is so, um, I hate to use the word accessible because I think some people think it's a put down. Um, but I don't, I don't feel it is. She's just, she lays it out there and whatever your conclusion is going to be, I don't think you have to fill, you don't have to fill in tons and tons of, uh, you know, uh, spaces. Then you have someone like T.S. Eliot who's like, whoa, you know, it's a little right. more obscure. Some of his references are really wild. I had a friend, um, I, I, in my rugby days, I had a, I, I met a professor at West Point and he used to use T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Or no, no, he was using the Prufrock, the love song of Alfred Prufrock to, um, to teach uh, by by Miss American Pie to his students, and he was sh- showing that to, to him growing up, the references in in the Eliot was were as kind of far away and obscure as the rock song references were to his students. To kind of show how you know references, historical references, have a time period, and then they become difficult yeah. because they're no longer p- part of you know the popular lexicon. So I think that um, you know some poets really work on being obscure or they do purposely leave gaps. And for those people, I say, man, there's no, like, there's no shame in, you know, going to Cliff's Notes. I mean, like I, I'll read, like there's the guardian has a poem a week. They publish a poem a week and then they publish a critique. And what I do is I read the poem and then I read the critique and, you know, sometimes I only miss a little bit, but sometimes I miss a lot. (laughs) And I have, you know, and I don't mind having someone who knows more explain it to me. It really helps. It becomes a learning tool. 
Oh, I love that so much. I, I mean, like, I I love the, you know, like in in you know Eastern thought, the beginner's mind, you know, of of even though Isn't it, he, it's the best, yeah, yeah. Here you are, I'm such sorry. an accomplished writer, and you you've you know had all these prizes and all these books published and all this poetry, and yet like, you know being like, I still love reading these cliff notes because it helps me understand. I think there's a lot of people are going to smile out there when they hear that because so many times we see writers as being this separate cut of human that doesn't need cliff notes, you know, or like, like, you know, automatically understood Nabokov before, you know, their first read, you know, like, like the, the, a lot of times there's this perception and, and I think your humanization is, is going to be, um, well received. I think you'll you'll put some smile. Well, thank you. I, I really, I, I really love what you said about beginner's mind, and that's something that that yoga brought to me. I mean, I have books on you know Zen, but I'm far too kinetic to meditate. That's never going to be a thing for me. Um, I'm like you, you know. I just you know I got to always be in motion. So right, right. I so that wasn't going to work. Meditation was going to work for me, but then I took up yoga some years ago, and um. And the idea of beginner's mind and of just being where you are at that moment um, is so much a part of the philosophy of yoga that um, it's been really freeing. And I think that that's my, also my philosophy as a writer, which is that, yeah, it's beginner's mind is the only place to be. And, and it's good to have confidence, and, but I don't think having beginner's mind is necessarily uh, conflicting with, you know, feeling that, yeah, I have some confidence in myself. I don't, I don't, I'm not like terrified about being good. But I also think the great thing about beginner's mind is that the idea is that you kind of suspend judgment. And I think that that's actually a great place to be when you're writing, because if you, if, if you can just become interested in the story for the purity of it, and if you can become interested in the art of writing and the study of writing just because you're intellectually intrigued and not because your ego is all wrapped up in it, then you're actually writing from a place of authenticity, in my opinion. Hmm. And maybe that's maybe when people have that burnout, you know, to circle back to your original question. Maybe if you go back to the question of what was it that attracted me to this in the first place? Why did I start doing this really difficult and really tiring you know, thing with my brain. Why am I doing this? And if you can get back to the roots of what interested you, which was just a good story, then maybe you can get back to that beginner's mind, which will which will free you. Mm. I think you're you are you are hitting a nerve here. You're you're, <laughs> I mean, you're like speaking to my soul a little bit. Um, yeah, it's like the need to. There's nothing wrong with the need to accomplish and the need to achieve. And and you know, sure, we all like praise. But another thing that I read recently is praise and blame are all the same. Um, I don't exactly believe that, wait, but I understand where that comes wait, wait, wait. from. What do you mean? What do you mean? Unpack that. I don't the understand. Pra oh, praise and blame are all the same. In other words, if you're living, if you're living for the praise of your work, if, if what drives you to work and to achieve and to write and to accomplish. If it's the hope for praise, then you're submitting yourself to, uh, you're not writing for the right, you're not doing your work for the right reasons because then you're equally uh, vulnerable to blame and, and, and praise and mm -hmm. blame all come from the place of judgment, you know, uh, uh, of judgment of you as a person or as a writer or whatever. And I'm not saying that, you know, that 
there should be no judgment. Obviously, you know, you judgment, you know, we, we exercise judgment to not open the windows so far and lean out so far that we fall. I mean, it's judgment is a part of everyday life. It's important. But I think that judgmentalism in the extreme um, can be blame or praise. And I think I, I really try not to live for praise. I really try not to, uh, I enjoy it, but if it becomes your soul more to, if it becomes your sole motivating uh, factor, then you turn into Donald Trump. You yeah. turn into someone who is ho- who's hollow inside, who has no actual sense of self. It's just a construct. And it's just frantically flapping your wings, trying to get, you know, your father to notice you as you fly closer and closer to the sun. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know what Icarus came in there, but there it is anyway. No, I mean what you're saying. What you're saying is really is is super resonant, especially as you talked about this idea of you know pra- praise or blame, and and not to get too deep into like the mud here, but like praise or blame being like a need of the ego, and yeah. writing right. from a certain perspective of for the work itself is is. That's nothing right. Is, yeah, nothing is egoless because, like, let's be honest, we're people. But you right. can you can intentionally push ego aside. You can do that. That that we can do as people. I I don't think we can be egoless because that's just not how we work, right? No. Um, no. I I think your I think I think your take is extremely realistic, and I I didn't want to push this too far in the in the you know in the wrong in the direction of calling like new age ah everything yeah oh we're all groovy and everything because I I don't believe in that either. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that um that there's a purity that comes from just engaging in the work itself and just trying to do your best, and then saying, well, I did my best today. Uh, it's up for tomorrow to see if my best was good enough, but you know, just for today, I did my best. And uh, again, with, with, with a certain humility and I think confidence laced with humility or humility laced with confidence is the best place to be. And when you can get in that place, you enter that magical thing that we call the zone. And when you're in the zone and I've had this, I've had this experience writing music and I've had it writing, you know, poetry or whatever you and and mozart talked about it all the time you just have this feeling that you're a conduit and maybe on some level we are just a conduit you know we're just a conduit for the universal consciousness if you're you know into Jung or or whatever that thing is that kind of universal creativity is floating around all of us and so maybe it's just a question of becoming a better conduit you know and then and then, and then you go read a little Rilke, <laughs> you read <laughs> letters to a young poet, you know, and he talks about that, you know, and, and then you kind of, you kind of get it, I guess. Yeah, I, I actually was, um, I'm kind of in the middle of a deep dive in Jung right now. And so you saying all this, I'm like, yes, that's, yes, this is it. Um, it feels like that. It, it definitely feels like that, doesn't it? When you're in the zone and we've all yeah, had that, right? Don't you I, feel... When you're in that place where it just you feel like a conduit and you're just flowing, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. And and yeah. you know it, it stresses this point, and um, at least for me it does, which is so much of our so much of our perception of ourselves as writers comes from the treatment our work gets from other people, and so if you are not writing 
so others think you are something good. And you can fill that in with whatever you want. Smart, great writer, lovely, um, what, whatever you, yeah. whatever, whatever's the positive Talented, emotion. Talented, whatever, yeah. Yeah, competent. Wow, what amazing person. Like if we're not writing for that and you start writing for the work itself, what that also does is it, at least it has for me, and I'm in the throes of this right now, is it unseats more than just my relationship with the work. It unseats my relationship with myself. And that creates in and, in and of itself some level of existential crisis. Now we're back to the start. Now we're back to existential oh, crisis. Oh, so in other words, when, when you get to that point, you experience existential crisis. When you get to that point where you, where you're man, where you manage to leave your ego at the door, so to speak, or whatever, or you get into that, that beginner's mind or whatever you want to call it, then that, that triggers existential crisis for you. I think, I think what it does is it, is it triggers then if you're not doing it for this, what then is the value of what you're doing it for? Where, where then do you find value? Cause it's so easy. I think a lot of us writers fall into this. It's so easy for value to be described by something outside of ourselves. It's super I know hard exactly to find what you mean. intrinsic right, right, right. value. And if you're not, if you're not ascribed to external value, there must be then something intrinsically. But for a lot of people, and I'm just going to say it out there for myself, it's sometimes really hard to find that value. And so it, it triggers yeah. this interesting view of the self of like, what then is the point of doing this? It, does that make sense? Yeah. Whew, we're it going, does. We're it going makes, at it. We, it are, makes, we are in the throes actually, of this. <laughs> it makes total sense to me. Now, for me, it's a little bit, I think, number one, well, it doesn't for me create existential crisis because I've sort of been a story nerd since I can remember consciousness. So like from a really, really young age, I was... Mm-hmm scribbling cartoons and making up stories and read, you know, just like absorbing stories, like, like it was food to me. And so creating stories and, and being just, just uh, having a thirst for them myself, that's just always been at the core of who I am. So it's not, so for me, it's not so much of an existential crisis because I, it's hard to imagine feeling another way. I mean, there may be a time when I not when I don't become interested anymore, but when I read books about story structure, it's like candy to me. I mean, I yeah. just find it like yeah. delicious. I just I I just find it so interesting. Um but I I do know what you mean because there's a the thing about writing is it's not like nursing where there's a sick person in front of you and you make them feel better and you take their temperature and you give them a something that makes them better. And then you can see the results of your work. Oh boy, I did something for humanity today. You know, I nursed somebody. Yeah. When you're a writer, there's a lot of belly buttons staring and it's so (laughs) solitary, you know, it's so solitary and it's so inner and man, I definitely can see how you can just kind of start to question it on a universal level. Like, Whoa, you know, what's, what am I even doing here? But then maybe you go back and you go, well, you know, what's given me the most pleasure over the years, uh, you know, and, and, you know, a good story well told um, is pretty pleasurable, you know, I think, yeah. uh, you know, and then there's, you know, then there's the, and then there's just the, the thing 
like maybe you don't even have to question what use it has. Maybe the answer is I just like it. It just interests me because I was I was watching. I'm also studying music theory because um, I, I learned to play piano at a young age. But, I, but my dad didn't teach us theory for some reason. So I'm having to really study it. And so I l- watched this wonderful guy called Adam Neely on uh, YouTube. And he does like all these music theory lectures. And it's really wonderful and funny and interesting. And um, the other day he was getting to a fairly arcane aspect of mo- uh, modulation. And I was like, do I really need to know this? What what's it gonna what's what good is it gonna do? And then I kind of quieted myself and said, "Wait a minute! I just like it. It's just interesting. What if it doesn't have any purpose? What is purpose anyway?" That's that's you know what is that it? is the question right there. That that is that is yeah. what it all boils down to. That's what all I mean is that is that what all fiction boils down to? Like, what is the purpose of me doing this or me doing anything at all? Isn't that at the yeah. bottom of it all? Whew. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, purpose is a tricky thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's plenty of poems about, you know, about nature and how nature, you know, I, I, there's a famous poem about, you know, what's the, consider the lilies of the field or is that the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> it could be the Bible. It could be a poem. I, but, but it's like until, you know, consider the lilies of the field, you know, they just kind of sit there looking pretty, but, Who's to say that doesn't have value? It it does, you know, and so I really like nature a lot. I like to wander around in the woods. And so to me, you know, being able to lose myself in the woods and just feel my ego dissolve and become part of this larger, you know, mm. life around me um, is very healing. And And maybe, you know, maybe the stories that you write, you're writing because there's someone out there who needs to heal from them, you know, who needs to use them to heal their life. I don't know. Um, yeah. but I also think that I don't, I don't spend that much time asking myself that question these days. Um, because maybe it, for me, I kind of settled it a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling, you know, I mean, it's my show, so I get to ask anybody anything <laughs> I want. And I have a feeling this is one of those questions that's going to roll around a lot because I think it's you know, I would love to do like a round two with you sometime and see if there's a moment that you can remember where, where you had to find an answer to that of like, as a, you know, and, and, and we're, we're going to talk about this in a second as I kind of round out the questions, but like, what is, what is the reason I'm doing this? What is the reason mm-hmm. I'm writing? Oh, well, let me stories? let me just come back. Let me yeah. Well, let me just come back with another question. Does there have to be a reason? No, no. They, they, I mean, well, mm, yes, I would imagine so because you're doing it and you're taking action. So you have to have a reason you continue to take action. I would imagine. Well, do I have to know? Do I have to know the reason though? Is it important that I know that? So, like when a dog, when a dog, you know, jumps up and you know licks its uh, owner or its human or, you know, runs, runs, runs and catches a Frisbee and, and, and proudly brings it back. Does it, does the dog need a reason? I mean, I feel like, uh, the reason is, you know, instinct breeding, you know, we've bred them to be our, you know, like little puppies and also, you know, instinct dogs were trained to hunt. You know, I mean, they survived by hunting. So the Frisbee, you know, is a hunting thing, but the dog's pretty happy without no, even thinking about the reason. Mm. Well, maybe <laughs> I feel like a therapist, but maybe 
you're just overthinking a little bit. Mm. Maybe the answer should just, you know, maybe don't, maybe you'll never get to the answer or maybe you'll get to an answer you don't want to get to. Well, maybe there's no real answer or maybe there's 20 answers. Maybe there's a hundred answers. This is, this I is don't, what's, I don't know. Yeah. This is what's maddening of, of the writing life, isn't it? Where, where each journey is individual, right? So there's me writers out there listening to you and I talk about this and they'll have their own set of answers and feelings and emotions and experiences, just like you have your own set of emotions and feelings and experiences. And in some right, way, right. this is all like, so in so many ways, I found that the writing life starts to mirror life in general. It's a lot of times the questions you try to answer in writing are also the questions you're trying to answer in real life. And I say real oh, life for in, sure. in quotations. And, that, oh, oh, you know? and, that, and by the way, maybe that's an answer. I think you've worked around to an answer for me. If I, if you, if, if I were to ask myself the question, you know, why am I doing this? And the answer would be to engage with with uh, life's bigger questions and to investigate them almost almost scientifically, almost in a way that like, you know, the, the themes and issues that interest me and they change, you know, from as you grow and change. But, um, you know, for me, writing is an investigation to the nature of, you know, human beings and their place in the world. And, you know, the big questions like justice and injustice and truth and and family and, you know, what we owe each other. And so for me, writing is a constant source of uh, investigation into those issues that have always interested me and actually interest me more and more as I write more and more. I mean, I'm actually more interested and more aware of them than I was, you know, when I was 22 banging out plays, you know, I, 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 I'm much more, I'm much more consciously interested in these things um, as I get older. So, maybe that's a reason to write. I mean, that's certainly enough for me. Man, that, that has a real ring to it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, and I also, don't think that, and I, I also don't think that there's any answer to any, I mean, the really, the really important questions have no single answer. They just yes, have an almost right. endless, endless, you know, endless permutations and variations, you know? Yeah, um, it's only, it's, it, I, I I just I disagree with Tolstoy. So although he is my man, my my, my main man, <laughs> I I I disagree with his famous comment about happy families and unhappy families. I think I think all families are individual in particular, whether they're happy or unhappy. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, just like yeah. people, even the, happy people are, you know, different. Yeah, yeah. It's like the big questions have no answers; just better questions. <laughs> yeah yeah so maybe and the string maybe of I'm better just, questions <laughs> right so maybe as writers we're just we're just in search of you know or and not even even the idea of question and answers is maybe a little limiting maybe it's more like you know filling in the possibilities it's almost like there's this huge painting and as a writer yeah. you're just painting one tiny corner of what human existence is like and there are all these other corners that you know are left for other people to paint but you can you can you can get started on the canvas and kind of like investigate what's in front of you or what you're interested in mm. i could i could continue this conversation indefinitely but i just looked at the time and i was like well we are already over our normal recording time um i feel like i feel like this this is going to roll around in my head for some for some period of time and so i appreciate you 
being willing to go down to the depths of the existential goo with me. With that said, um, it's time for me to wrap up our time here and ask you my final question. So um, I ask these questions to every single guest on the podcast because so much of the point of the show is to encourage and inspire and empower writers to find their way of putting words on the page. Because you know, once you learn how you write, it all opens up. Um, it's really hard, you know, especially when you're a beginning writer, you see all these people writing, but you don't quite know your way to do it. And so I ask these questions to show that there is no one right way. Um, as a writer, it's your responsibility to figure out your way to put those words down to, to you know, move the story forward. Um, and I, I also love the answer. So that's the second reason why. So um, with that said, I'm going to ask you the first of our final questions, final six questions, which is this. As a storyteller, what do you view is your role in this world? Well, it's funny because I feel like we've kind of been talking about it yeah. for the last 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Kenneth Burke famously said, stories or equipment for living, which I think is just a, a beautiful way of thinking about writing. And so maybe I think that, you know, my job is to put in, throw another couple of tools in that toolbox. And maybe people can read something I've written and think about life a little differently, or maybe have a little sensual pleasure from reading it or, you know, pass the time in a happy way, uh, you know, to give to, to maybe maybe to enlighten and instruct, but that's, that seems a little ego driven. So maybe just to provide some, a little fodder for people's personal journey. Mm, I love that. And, or as Oscar Wilde said, I have a talent to entertain <laughs> or was it, or was it Noel Coward? It could have been Noel Coward. Uh, one of one of the one of the British wits said, you know, I have a, a gift, I have a talent to entertain, and you know, maybe that's maybe I think that's enough. Maybe to entertain is now that's no small feat if you can do that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Fully agree with you. Um, okay, question number two: What is the one word that best describes you? energetic maybe mm. that's a really hard one I, I could I, see that a couple of months ago a couple of months ago i would have said reckless um, <laughs> um you know it's that's that's a hard one but okay. i guess i guess I'll, maybe people who know me would say energetic i love it okay question number three if you had to pick a spirit book so this is a book that if you died and you are able to be reincarnated as a book, this is the book you'd pick to be reincarnated as. What book would it be? So, so there's a charming children's book called Harold and the Purple Crayon. And I read it as a child. And some years ago, one of my improv students gave me a copy of it. And I was delighted to have it again. And it's just this book where this little boy, Harold, it's kind of line drawings. And this little boy, Harold, wakes up at night in his bed and he draws himself adventures. And so he'll draw like a boat outside of his window and then he'll get in the boat and then he'll draw himself a monster. And then he has to find a way out of this adventure. So he'll draw himself a, you know, a balloon or some way to escape from the monster. And so he has a series of adventures that he draws just as he goes along. Uh, and the book has always struck me as a wonderful metaphor for creativity and for life, you know, that you kind of draw your own adventures and then you have to draw ways to get out of them. 
And I, I guess that book, you know, has meant a lot to me over my life. So I choose Harold, Harold and the Purple Crayon. Oh, I love it. I'm gonna have to find it and read it to my, to my daughters. That sounds like oh, right up our alley. Oh, they will go nuts for it. Okay. They will love it so, so much. I'm going to look it up. Um, okay. Is there a specific tool? Question number four. Is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write? I have to admit the answer to that is no. But <laughs> when I was in college writing my senior honors thesis, I had a costume and um, I wore a ratty old blue bathrobe and a pair of glasses with no lenses they had like clear lenses because i didn't really need glasses but i i like, put on my my ratty blue bathrobe and my glasses and then i was ready to write and that was my that was my writer's costume oh my gosh i have never heard of a costume like this is the first time <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a couple hundred in a hundred and something interviews that i've heard a costume i'm like dying it's my here. little costume yeah i love it my old okay. black, my old bathrobe yeah Question i don't know why it just got me in the booth I it's mean, just when I had my custom on, I, I was the I could write. Yeah, I mean, we we talk about this a lot that like there's quirky stuff we do that just puts us in the creative spot, and like costume sounds great to me. I'm all about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, question number five: How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Well, we again, we kind of did talk a little bit about this when we were talking about you know burnout and you know what what to do about that. Um, but, you know, ups and downs, like whether or not your book is going to get picked up or not. I think that, first of all, I try and remember that this is only one part of my life. It's not the sum total of who I am. When I wake up, the sun is going to still be out there and there's going to still be mushrooms in the woods that need to be hunted. And there's going to be a horse that needs to be ridden. And there's going to be friends who might need to talk to me. So it's not it's not the be all and end all of existence. And also, I also remind myself, especially having been an actor, that when you're a writer, nobody can tell you whether you can do your work or not. And um, you just can do your work no matter what other people are going to buy or not buy or ignore or reject, you can still do work. So I just remind myself of that. And I just try and do my work. I love that. I've not heard that before. Um, and that I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Okay. Last question for you. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Well, it'd be very much along the lines of, you know, follow your bliss, um, write about what interests you don't write to mark, don't write to the market, quote unquote, don't write about what's, you know, whatever's popular, because by the time you're finished, it's, it's going to have moved on anyway. Write what it, write the book that you would like to read, write the kind of book that you would like to read, uh, write about the things that interest you, um, you know, follow your own passions, your own obsessions, your own you know, obsession is not a dirty word when you're a writer um, and, and, and write those things, you know, and, and don't worry about, you know, it's certainly in the beginning stages, don't worry about whether or not you think, you know, everyone else in the world is interested in that because if you're passionate about something, that passion will carry through to your prose. It will absolutely, absolutely carry through. Now, whether you're talented or whether you're skilled, that's another thing. You can't control that, but you can't control about what you choose to write about. So write about the things that you find most passionately, you know, evoke your own interest. Mm. 
I love that. Um, Carol, where can people find you online? So my website is celawrence.com. And, um, you know, there's links to all the social media there. I'm also on Instagram. I think I'm Carol Buguet on Instagram. And um, Twitter, I'm at celawrence. And, um, you know, on Facebook, I have a personal page and a celawrence page. So so I'm pretty easy to find. And if you just Google me, you know, you'll get a lot of, it'll, a lot of stuff will pop up. Yeah. Um, and, and are, is there one of those social platforms that you are on more? Are you more Twitter, more Facebook, more Instagram? I think I'm more, t- uh, so Instagram, I, I use more for pretty pictures and I really just like, I like food porn and I like posting. <laughs> I really like looking at other people's food porn and I like posting things that I've made, you know, that night or, you know, maybe a, a beautiful cup of coffee a barista has made and a lot of landscape and, you know, outdoor pictures. Um, uh, so I like Instagram. Um, I do do some promo on it. Um, I, Twitter is, is one that I, I do spend a certain now. Who knows what's going to happen with Elon Musk in charge. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm pretty active on Twitter. And I do, you know, I'm interested in politics. So I do retweet p- political things. And, you know, so I guess, I guess Twitter and Instagram probably more, more than Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Cleopatra's Dagger, it is out now. Go find it at your bookstore. Uh, local bookstore if you can, bookshop.org, wherever you get your books. Um, from the bottom of my heart, Carol, this has been a such an enjoyable conversation for me. I feel like we've covered so much ground and I'm already looking forward to asking you back for the round two of this where who knows where we'll go with this. But this has been such a pleasure and I appreciate you coming in here and offering your spirit and your um, so much of your insight and creativity and energy. I mean, I have... I uh, just kind of soaked it in for this past hour. And I'm sure everybody who listens to the show will as well. So thank you so, so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Thank you again to Carol for her time. If you haven't yet, please check me out on Twitter. I'm actually Twittering quite a bit. Uh, I am at the underscore Murfinator. Also, you can check me out on Instagram at happywriter underscore co. I also want to say thank you so much, listeners. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting the show. And I hope you have an absolutely spectacular week of writing.